The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about protecting ourselves from active shooters and other security protections. And I'm really happy to have our guests come from um, just uh, about an hour north of us in California, Alan Banks. He is the owner and CEO of Protective Protection Proactive Protection Agency and Safeguard Training, and he is a certified security specialist, and he has decades of experience in the field as a personal protection specialist. He's a graduate of the Vance International, one of the top executive protection academies in the United States, and there Alan received training from former Secret Service and military personnel, and with over 40 years' experience in the security industry, he's provided threat assessment and security for high-profile celebrities in film, music, TV, corporate executives as well, and high-threat-level dignitaries, both locally and internationally. So we're really happy to have him with us. You can find out more about him at privacypiracy.org where we have his picture and bio, and we link to his website, which is proactiveprotection.net. Alan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, Mara. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, nice to be here and have the opportunity to speak with your listeners. Yes, and I know you're going to give us some great advice, too. So I understand that you're very passionate about this subject matter. So um, what kind of drives you, and how did you even really get into this and become interested in it? Well, uh, it was easy for me initially because I like helping people. You know, I'm all about helping friends, helping families. Uh, I, I kind of, um, as a kid, you know, like Superman, so I took on the role of what can I do to keep people safe sort of thing. And <laughs> in time, uh, I was uh, doing some uh, security on a protection detail, and I actually am passionate about the fact that uh, I do what I do now because, unfortunately, at that time, um, I actually faced a real-life experience where I faced uh, an individual um, at gunpoint, and I was protecting um, one of my clients, and I wasn't armed at that time, and actually took a round at close range um, protecting that client. And when it happens, it, it unfolds very quickly, and it just—it's uh, it, a pretty intense situation. And fortunately, it was a small caliber. I survived, and I, I went on to get much more advanced training from that that point, and uh, got certified as a specialist. And I now carry my my firearm just as a tool uh, for the trade, 
and um, don't want anyone to ever come face to face with a situation like that. So uh, I'm very passionate about what I do to keep people safe. Well, that's really wonderful because you have a, a clear understanding and a deep understanding of, of how frightening that can be and what can happen. So let's talk about, we, we hear about active shooters in schools and synagogues and churches and all over the place. Can you explain really what an active shooter is and talk about its prevalence right now? Definitely. Um, an active shooter, the definition of an active shooter, and this is from the Department of Homeland Security, is basically defined as an individual actively engaged, and I say actively engaged, in killing or attempting to kill people in a confined or populated area. And generally the weapon of choice is a firearm. Now, that's something whereby it's not something that is looked at as a potential, but that shooting incident is actually occurring at that time. That's why they use the term active shooter. The reason why it's so prevalent now is that this is something that people can't say might happen to them, and they can't take on the viewpoint that they used to have. Well, it's never happened to us, so we're, we're not going to jump to conclusions and put tons of security measures in place. That whole mindset has changed now, and people know it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen, and you need to be prepared from a preventative side of, of uh, you know dealing with that as well as an emergency response. And it's worldwide. I mean, this is something that is, uh, you know, in our society, unfortunately, it's uh, much more prevalent and widespread. Right. And it's so prevalent in our country, which is so terrible. And when we think about Sandy Hook and, and, you know, little kids, innocent kids who really can't protect themselves, that's uh, that's even more scary. So you talk. Yeah. So you talk about prevention first. And can you tell us about this and give some preventative tips for for our listeners? Definitely. I, I have a, a philosophy that uh, states prevention first and response second. Now, that's not to mean that response uh, and, you know, preparing for a situation is, um, is not important. But we try to look at it, you know, from when I've gone out and protected clients when we've done uh, protection details locally or internationally, we always look at things from, okay, how can what can we put in place? How many things we can put in place to actually keep that situation from escalating into a, a shooting incident or an attack, you know, towards our client? Well, the same thing applies at a facility. Anything that you can do to put preventative measures in place is the first thing you want to do because if you do that well enough, then you're not responding and reacting to the shooting incident itself. So the emphasis on a program that I have going out right now and how I actually go in and give seminars and and teach people at facilities um, that are places of worship, schools, businesses, large venues is, okay, here are some preventative measures that you can put in place with regards to looking for out points. And uh, I'll I'll further elaborate on that. Yes. Give us some, yeah. Give us some policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. Sure. There was a a while back when, you know, the shooting incidents were really starting to escalate. And I looked at this and I said, you know, something's wrong here. We're we're responding to this and there are things that are being missed with regards to preventative measures. And I could look and just, you know, look through the, 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 the cracks and find out that 
there were missing elements with regards to warning signs and things that would give a detection of something that's uh, like the tea kettle, kettle about to boil over. Right. And those things were being missed. So I said, you know, okay, let's look at these things that could fall through the cracks. Preventative measures can be something along the lines of just knowing what kind of policies and procedures to put in place to be able to uh, recognize concerning or threatening behavior, um, something that could escalate to actually be an incident where you then have to respond to. Um, some of the tips on that would be a disgruntled employee, um, an individual who talks about suicide in, in, um, in the workplace, uh, an individual who has complaints about the company, not getting a raise, has domestic situations at home. It's not one thing. It's usually a list of things that compile that can sort of put this individual in a position where he needs to be monitored, he needs to be watched, he needs to be talked to and try to diffuse and de-escalate these things before that individual boils over and just says, okay, um, don't come to school tomorrow, uh, guys, because I have something planned here. I'm tired of being bullied. You know, those yeah. sort of things yeah. are what we need to look for as far as those signs prior to having to react to it. So when you're talking about policies and procedures, I mean, you know, everybody's got policies and procedures and they, they're they in a book and, you know, people don't know what to do. You know, maybe they read it and then they don't get trained on it or they don't get reinforcement on it. So what are some policies and procedures that really need be, like here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, which is, you know, they've had incidents and a, right. a big university is a place where an active shooter or someone who didn't like his grades or someone who couldn't get into the college or someone who's, you know, upset that his girlfriend broke up with them or, you know, who knows what it could be, right? So what are mm -hmm. some policies and procedures that you recommend to schools like universities, like big establishments like that, companies? Well, that's a very good uh, question. And a school, we'll just take that up since you, you brought that up. Uh, a school has to develop some sort of policy, policies and procedures. What those things are are guidelines. And the first thing that an individual is going to have with regards to that checklist, and there's no exact menu to it, but it's just some ideas of what you need. Um, for instance, there should be a policy and a procedure for what is considered appropriate behavior in, in a school, um, things that would be considered inappropriate behavior and what to do with those. Um, some schools having a policy that's cut and dry, no firearms, no explosive devices, anything are to be brought on a school property or a campus or within the safe school zone. Um, you know, anything that gives uh, sort of a, a, an initiation to something that is just not appropriate in the school. Um, those are things that we kind of look for. There, there's, there's a whole list of different situations that can escalate into, uh, you know, something that is of concern, um, policies and procedures with regards to, you know, a person unloading on individuals and making threats about what they're going to do, uh, bullying situations. We found that when um, individuals, shooters had been interviewed after a shooting incident, 
one of the criteria for them targeting individuals, which is called targeted violence, was the fact that they had to endure through a period of time bullying. And now that's something that is a policy for a lot of schools. No bullying under any circumstance is allowed in school. A list of things that can discern what is appropriate behavior, what is concerning behavior, what can lead up to an individual being disgruntled. Those are things that the school establishes. And we go through, um, when we go to schools, we actually go to schools, places of worship, businesses, and lay out some very important basic policies and procedures that they can put in place for that facility, because each facility has a different mindset, a different group that they operate with. So those policies and procedures will vary, but some of them are very basic to what is something that could create a situation and what you do and don't do. Right. You know, I remember many years ago, before I became a lawyer, I was a high school teacher in on Long Island, New York, and um, there were problems in the school at that time. There was uh, various, four of the five towns, I, I taught in the five towns, four of the five towns were really wealthy kids, and the fifth town was much lower income. And so there'd be all these kids that would go into the bathroom and, and then somebody would bring a knife and say, give me all your money. You know, and these kids would be carrying about $100 or $200 on them. So um, so what they ended up doing, I was only 22 years old, right out of college, teaching high school English and Spanish there. And, um, mm-hmm. and not only that, I was what you call peripatetic. I had to move my overhead projector and everything with me because I didn't have tenure. I didn't have my own classroom, so I'd go from classroom to classroom. So what they ended up having to do, kids were getting violent, not only in the bathroom, but everywhere. And so they had all these plainclothes policemen in the halls. And it was pretty terrifying even back then. You know, the kids didn't bring guns, but they had knives and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember the, the fear that I and other teachers had and but it, at least what they could do in a school is verify if somebody at least belonged there. Do you know what I mean? They had uh, student IDs, exactly. and if you didn't have a student ID, you couldn't get into the school. But at least they had that. What about with churches, though? I mean, with the church, you were welcoming new, <laughs> new pro- prospective congre- congregants, right? <laughs> so, what what do what do you do in in churches and synagogues? It's uh, as as I say, each facility will have a different criteria with regards to how they set those policies and procedures in place. And um, one thing that we really need to get across. To individuals is that there has to be a responsible entity that puts these things together and then oversees them, inspects them, um, an, an entity to report to. And I'm talking about a threat management team. Whether you have a school, whether you have a synagogue, whether you have a business, whether you have uh, a place that has a, a large venue and has concerts or different things going on, there should always be an entity, a group that is trained from the security aspects of prevention as well as emergency response that is that threat management team. Now, what that threat management team does is they are the ones that look at those policies that have been set up for that particular facility. Um, If you see 
if the term, if you see something, say something. If you hear something, say something. It can't be uh, said enough times where if there's someone that is expressing concerning behavior, and that's something that can be observed in any, any facet of what I've been talking about at any facility. Um, a person that is obviously going through some domestic situation, boyfriend, girlfriend situation, um, bullying situation, uh, depressed situation where he's, you know, looking at uh, suicidal um, tendencies, anything that gives red flags, that then has to be recognized and reported. Well, who are you going to report it to? Right. That threat management team, because they're the individuals that will then inspect it, investigate it, and find out how viable of a threat it is and what to do about it. Yeah, because, I mean, you can call law enforcement and law enforcement can come over and they say, well, there's no there's no crime that's been committed yet, you know? Exactly. And they don't have the time necessarily to work it up like their own uh, in-house and, you know, a threat assessment team that would have maybe somebody like your kind of training to help them to set up this team, you know, because right. a lot and of, yeah, go ahead. That's why we go into, I've gone to, places of worship, I've gone to uh, businesses, I've gone to schools, and I've, you know, given seminars. We actually have an online um, active shooter prevention training course that, because it's really hard to get out there and go to all of the different facilities and do presentations. But you'd be surprised at how many things people aren't aware of to look for that we, as specialists in the field, have looked at when we're protecting clients and know those things that would fall through the cracks. Now, once you have the security policies and procedures in place of what to look for, what's considered inappropriate behavior, concerning behavior, threatening behavior, you then have to have some entity to oversee that to ensure, okay, this has been reported to me from such and such, and we're now going to investigate it and look at whether we need to uh, have law enforcement um, uh, uh, to intervene And if we need to contact our legal counsel based on a search or seizure, I mean, these are all things that that threat management team will be taught, and they will be the individuals or the entity that will respond to that so that when the report has been received, there's a resolution for that particular concern. And that's one of the biggest outpoints is that individuals aren't trained. There is no resolution once that report has been submitted to the point where, okay, we can defuse this and handle this, or we need law enforcement intervention. Right, right. And I think, you know, with schools, public schools, as well as with, you know, uh, small churches, they don't have a lot of money, but, um, you know, to, to do all this, that's what's really unfortunate is that it, it can get, get expensive. But you said you have an online training course called Pro at uh, ProactiveProtection.net, right? The, yeah. Yes, the online the online training uh, course uh, is separate from the uh, from Proactive Protection, and it's um, that's a separate entity that goes into what we do with regards to if we come out to uh, a school itself or a place of worship. And we go over these things. People can go online and um, actually get this information. They follow a check sheet on it. They, it shows everything with regards to how to put your 
school policies and procedures in place, how to organize a threat management team, uh, reporting and investigating, uh, all the way through to uh, warning signs and what your emergency response is going to be in case there is an, an active shooter uh, situation. So is that a different website, or can they get there from proactiveprotection.net? Can they get there from there or no? Yes, yes, they can get through. Uh, they can get to that through proactiveprotection.net. Uh, and basically, we wanted to have something where, where it breaks down in very simple but basic um, information where people can apply. And when, when they're done with this program, they'll understand things from a preventative aspect all the way to uh, what we call EAP, an emergency action plan, and what to do and how to set that up at any facility. Now, you were talking about some of the warning signs, and a lot of people think that um, these shootings really come out of nowhere. But what about these people who, you know, I read about it all the time in the paper, they say, oh, he was such a nice guy. And you know, he was just quiet and he kept to himself. What about those people that are just quiet? They seem fine. They don't have any violent behavior. How do you find out about them? Well, this is uh, one thing that I wanted to figure out on my, I wanted to look at research because a friend of mine was a reporter for KFWB News and uh, a good, a good friend. And he knew about what I did in, in the field of, uh, you know, high-level security, and I said, listen, there are too many things that are falling through the cracks here that are missing where people think there is no recognition with regards to early detection for warning signs when there are. And I did, I did years of research in looking into this. I collaborated with uh, law enforcement, a friend of mine who was the chief of police um, in, out in Ventura, other law enforcement and, and people in the high-level security. And we all came about, you know, with the same, uh, same outpoints, the, the things that were not easily recognized by individuals. And that is, believe it or not, between 90 and 95 percent, probably more now, but at least 95 percent of the shooting incidents have some sort of warning signs for early detection or red flags that people didn't know how to recognize, or once they were recognized, they didn't know how to report them, or if they were reported, nothing was done about them because they weren't taken seriously or people didn't know what to do. And those are the things that create the biggest problems, the lack of coordination with what what people can do in that. Those warning signs are there. Mm -hmm. And when I trace back the different incidents from whether it's been in a school or whether it's been in a place of worship or whether it's been um, in a business, there are warning signs for early detection that needed to be responded to with regards to reporting. Now, sometimes kids, let's say kids in a school, they play a prank just to see what kind of attention they can get. There's still ways to investigate that and diffuse whether that's an actual viable attack or, or a concern that can lead up to something like that, or if it's the real deal. But there are ways to be able to discern that based on that threat management team, the policies and procedures, uh, what warning signs are there, what is being presented, and uh, how to report them. Now, I'll give you another example. Some people say, especially in a, in a school, well, that's my friend. I don't want to squeal on him. I don't want to 
you know, right. uh, say something that might not be accurate, you can always report it anonymously or on a hotline or just going to an individual because in the past and recently, there have been situations where if they were not reported and hadn't been followed through, would have been the next mass shooting that we read about in the papers. And that happened at a school where they did things right and followed the procedure, reported it, investigated Law enforcement came in and thanked them for preventing the next mass shooting. And those are things that we can do as a group. Right, right. So um, let's talk about what are some of the key factors that should be in an emergency action plan. We, we've heard recently about these school heroes. So what do you say about that? Uh, that's a that's a twofold uh, answer yeah. there. I'll answer yeah. the first part of it. The the EAP or the Emergency Action Plan. We never want to be in a situation where we actually actually have to utilize it. However, if we don't have it, then we won't have any sort of emergency response uh, program in place. So the Emergency Action Plan that there's several out there. Um, law enforcement. Uh, let's see, Department of um, Homeland Security, Secret Service, different entities have put together uh, different emergency action plans, but and even private security companies like myself. But one of the most popular ones is the run, hide, fight concept. And you, you may right. have heard that. Yes. They have video videos out there that actually break down how that's done. Now, the thing that's, that's something that we, we try to take it a step further is not just rely on that run, hide, fight uh, program as an exact menu of what you do. It all depends on the type of situation that is going down at that, that school, at that place of worship, at that business at that time, um, is how you will utilize it. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a shooter, okay? He comes in. Part of that emergency action plan is the facility needs to have done drills to recognize certain things, even gunfire recognition. How many times have we heard recently that the individual said, I thought it was a drill or I didn't know what that sound was, if it was a real gunfire sound. So there wasn't any training with regards to gun recognition and what they should do. So basically with the run, hide, fight, if there's ever a situation where you have a shooter, he's engaging, the first thing you want to do that you can do safely is remove yourself from the mark. You don't want to be in that same proximity to where that shooter is. If you have an evacuation route, use it. Get the heck out of there as safely as you can and have other people do the same. Mm -hmm. If you cannot get out and you actually have to hunker down in a safe area, you want to find an area where it's offline. The shooter can't see you. It's not going to be easy for him to get into. You lock down the doors. You barricade the doors. You hide behind heavy objects and turn your cell phone off. And that's where you have to be because you can't get out safely. Now, that doesn't mean that you should find a hiding place that is visual and visible to the shooter. If you're hiding behind a, a glass uh, door there, the shooter can look right in and go, there are my targets, because you have to realize he's looking for targets to take out as immediately as he possibly can. That's what yeah. he wants to do. Yeah. Now, the, the third is the one where we've had problems with, specifically recently with the two shootings, um, 11 days apart. And the, the university, um, 
North Carolina, we had the University of North Carolina, the 18-year-old and the 21-year-old um, the individual at the STEM school in Denver, Colorado. When you have a situation, and I will say this is only when you get to the point where you have a life-threatening situation and the only thing you can do to protect your life, save your life, others, individuals, is to engage the shooter, mm-hmm. then it's something that I can't say everyone has to do that because I'm not going to speak for other individuals that right. aren't okay with that, and they might not have the confront to do that. But it's going to be a better outcome for everyone else if when those individuals make that decision to have to save their lives, the lives of their friends, protect those individuals in that situation, it has to be a commitment from a group of people to take that individual off the mark. Right. He has the firearm. He wants to take out as many people as he can. When everyone decides to engage, if there's a book, a computer, a fire extinguisher, a chair, He's going to have to deal with a lot of if there's a a group commitment to take that shooter down. And when he's disarmed at that point, you have to cover up the firearm in a trash can, something. Don't have it in your hand when law enforcement arrives because they're not going to be able to designate you from the shooter. Right. Well, you know what? We are just out of time. So this is great. I'm going to send everybody to your website. And that is proactiveprotection.net, where they can learn a lot more about this. And I just wish we had an hour to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, Alan Banks. And we will have you back again, okay? It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, great. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.